reading today is from Ephesians 4, and I'm reading verses 1 to 16. You can follow it in your leaflet or on the screens. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and if all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by supporting ligament, every ligament, grows and builds us up in love as each does its work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning to see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Well, uh, you want to uh, keep your little uh, booklets open. They've got uh, our passage for this morning, and you can follow along uh, in there. Now, I don't know what your favourite uh, sport is, uh, whether it's cricket or swimming or netball or motorsport or cycling, but I want you to imagine that you have received an invitation, an invitation to join the Australian National your favourite team, insert team here, you get called up to come and join that team 
as one of their athletes. Now, this might be harder to imagine for probably all of us. Imagine you've been training for this for a long time. You've been waiting. You've been hoping. It's been your dream and your desire to get onto that team, that factory ride, that, that run. And the coach calls and says, I want you on my team. Well, you accept, don't you? Uh, you're very excited and, and you quickly, you pack your stuff and you go down to the airport and you jump on the plane and when you arrive, the coach uh, shakes your hand and he takes you down to the change room and, and the coach leads you to your very own locker and inside that locker is a jersey with your name across the back. Pretty cool, hey? And right there in the change room, the coach looks at you and he gives you that be worthy of the jersey speech. You know that one? You know the old, hey, you know, wearing this jersey is an incredible privilege and with privilege comes responsibility. The whole this is the big league now kind of speech. He sits you down and he says, you know, you need to live a life worthy of someone who's been called to wear this jersey worthy of someone called to be on this team. You need to train hard, make sacrifices, and you need to play for the team, not yourself. <coughs> now, Christians uh, don't wear jerseys. Uh, we're not a team uh, that walks around with uh, matching uh, jerseys and sweats. But these verses that we just read in the Bible are kind of this Christian version of that be worthy of the jersey speech from the coach. See, if you've accepted God's call to be a follower of Jesus, you've accepted a call into an infinitely more important team than whatever team you imagined a few moments ago. We have been baptised, our passage said, into the only team that will matter in eternity. And here in our passage, the Apostle Paul writes to us kind of like a coach, calling us to shoulder that responsibility that comes with that incredible privilege. Have a look again at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And just have a look there and, and, and have a look at those commands, those instructions uh, that we're given and notice that you can't do any of them on your own. Actually, all of those are instructions are instructions about how we relate to each other. To be humble, you have to have others to put first above yourself. To be gentle, you have to have others to be gentle with. To be patient, you have to be patient with others. You have to, to, have, to put up with others, you have to have others to put up with. To love someone, you need someone to love. And to make every effort to keep unity and peace, you need to make every effort to keep unity and peace with someone. So you can't do these things on your own. 
These are commands, these are instructions that can only be carried out in regular, consistent relationship with the rest of God's team. And Paul goes on to describe God's team there as a body. See there, he says one body. And the thing with a body, right, is that a body doesn't do too well when it's chopped up and in, left in separate pieces. You know, if, if, if I chop my finger off today and leave it on the kitchen bench, I guarantee you it won't look too good in a week's time. See, a finger doesn't, isn't designed to be chopped off from the body. See, the body, as a body, means we as God's team, God's body, need to stick together. We need to be connected and we need to be committed to each other. See, our coach, Paul, the apostle here says, to live a life worthy of someone who's been called from Satan's team into God's team, to be obedient to the God who called us, we must be committed to his team. We must be committed to being united as his body, committed to relating to each other in the way that Paul's described, humbly, gently, patiently, putting up with each other lovingly, peacefully. See, Jesus had said that this is the way the world will know that we're his disciples, by the way that we love and relate to each other. Now, this faith, this team, this body, is the body that, if you are a Christian, that every single one of you have been baptised into that Adam this morning has been baptised into. We have been baptised into a body. And so, Anton and Liv, as you've been reminded and charged this morning, you need to coach Adam, like Paul coaches us here, to be committed to unity with God's people. You need to show him what that looks like by your life. And for all of us, for all of us, this is an obedience thing. And it's also a culture thing. See, to live worthy of our calling, we must all be committed to unity and the fellowship with God's team. And you can see how it becomes a culture thing. As we commit, as we invest, as we love, as we're patient, as we bear with one another, that becomes a culture where that becomes the norm a team culture, if you like, where we're committed to loving each other, committed to connecting with each other. Now, the verses that we read actually hint that it's not going to be easy. Did you notice that? See, unless our teammates are going to need some help, why would we need to be gentle with them? And why would we need to be patient unless some of our teammates are going to do some stupid things? And why would we need to bear and put up with each other unless we were going to do things to each other that were hard to bear and put up with? See, why would we need to make an effort if this was going to be easy? No, being in this team, in God's team, in his body, is not easy. But being worthy of being called into his team means that we will make every effort for unity. 
every effort to love and bear with and invest in each other. See, you think you're back to your sports team. You might not like all of the people that you play with. You may not get along really well with all of your teammates. But if you're committed to that team and if they're committed to that team, you're still trained together, aren't you? You'll still work hard together. You'll still have each other's backs on the field or on the course or wherever. You'll still set each other up and support each other on and off the court. And we need to be reminded that this is what it's got to be like for us as God's people. Now, it might be the case that the team members that most need to hear this aren't here today. And so for those of us who are, we need to hear it too, but we also need to think, well, how do we humbly, gently, patiently help our other teammates, our other brothers and sisters in Christ, see that actually this is a team sport? How do we help them see that it is important and is great and is good to make every effort to commit to unity as God's people? How do we show them that they're missing out on something great and that their lack of community and commitment actually hurts the team? See, God has called us to unity. And like any team, unity has a purpose. Have a look there at verse 7. We've been called to grow. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Jump down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave, these are the gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now I want you to imagine for a second uh, a soccer team made completely of strikers. They'd just fall over the whole time, wouldn't they? They wouldn't do anything. Feigning. It wouldn't be a very good team, would it? it? You know, they might have some great shots at goal, but they'll probably all be fighting over the ball because they all want to have the shot. And any time the ball ends up down their end, it's going to be straight through to the goals. No. A coach and a manager putting together a team will, will put together a team that fits and works together. He'll put together a team based on his goal, which is to win. And to win, he recognises you need all kinds of players. In soccer, you need a goalie, you need defence, you need mids, you need attackers. You need all of them together in the right balance. Only then, when you have different people playing different parts, can the team win, can the team achieve their goal. And God has a goal for this team. He has a goal for his church, for his body. And the goal we see here is that we grow, that we are built up. Now, that's got two parts to it. The first is that we grow, we are built up in maturity and godliness. And the second is that we actually grow in just the size and number. 
See, firstly, God wants us to grow in godliness and maturity. He wants us to grow more like Jesus in understanding, in wisdom, in godliness. He's called us to be a holy priesthood. But he also wants his people to grow to be a very great multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth. And that's why in the beginning of the church in Acts, we see it celebrated as the church grew each day as people were added to their number. God's goal for his church is that we grow in maturity and also in size. And we might look around and think, well, yeah, around the world, God's church is growing. But it's not okay if God's church around the world is growing and local churches are not growing too. Because God's goal for this church, for every church, is that every church grows. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, one of those over-35s men's cricket teams uh, where they're more serious about the bar than they are about uh, the stumps and getting runs. Um, but some Christians can, sometimes we can all actually, sometimes I get like an over 35 men's cricket team from the 10th division. See, sometimes we all lose focus on that goal. Sometimes we all drop off our interest in seeing God's church grow. Sometimes we all don't seem that fussed about whether those around us and ourselves are growing in maturity or, or whether more people are being saved and added to God's church. We can get comfortable just mucking around. Sometimes, actually, we actually just deliberately don't want to grow. Have you ever found yourself thinking, actually, I like how church is. I like the size, I like the people here, it's comfortable, I kind of know everybody and, you know, if church grows then I'd have to meet new people and, you know, and we'd have to change because we wouldn't fit and, you know, sometimes we as Christians can lose sight of the goal that God has for his church. But what if this team is less like a cricket team and more like a team of SAS soldiers? What if it's not just hits and giggles and it's actually life and death? Because that's actually what it is. God's people growing in their faith so that they persevere to the end when Christ returns, so that they can stand pure and blameless in his sight and stand in the judgment. That's life and death. People who are going to stand before God and face his judgment for the way they have lived and given him the finger and lived their life their own way. That is life and death. We need to pray that, that this little message from our coach Paul will snap us out of that complacency and fix our eyes on the goal. So you think about it, if a child doesn't grow, if Adam doesn't grow any bigger by the time he's 18 in size, there would be a problem, wouldn't there? And if, and if he doesn't grow in maturity, he doesn't grow to understand more things and learn how to relate to people differently and, and those things that 
a normal healthy baby like Adam grows up to do, well, then we, we think there's something wrong here. The growth is stunted. This is not good. This is, this is not how it should be. And it's the same for a church. See, a church that isn't actually growing in godliness and isn't growing in number is actually a church that's not doing the thing that God has designed and planned and the goal that he has for it. It's a stunted church, a disabled church. But it is hard, isn't it? We do like change. We do like being comfortable. We like things how they are most of the time. But how could we be satisfied with a dozen churches, a sort of 50 to 150 in this area, when there are 40,000-odd people in that same region? I'm not good with the maths, but you can do it. That's not many of those 40,000 people. If the local churches are not growing in maturity and in number, then that's a lot of people who aren't being reached with the good news of Jesus. See, how can we possibly be satisfied with not growing when we know that not growing means life or death? How can we not be satisfied... How can we, sorry, how can we be satisfied with not growing when we know that people around us are lost and without hope and we have the words of eternal life? Now, I don't know if you kind of glaze over uh, whenever I talk about growing as a church. Maybe you kind of pass it off as just, you know, that's just one of those pastor things. Uh, they're always talking about growth. You know, maybe it's Scott's ego, maybe... He just wants to be pastor of a big church, you know. Maybe, maybe it's just because Scott's an extrovert and he just loves people and so, you know, it's fine for him, but I'm an introvert, you know. It's, there's already too many people in this room for me. But think about it like this. Think of all the needs in our church that we can't currently meet. Think of, think of the needs in our community that we're barely scratching the surface of addressing. Think of all the kids and the youth and the hurting and the struggling. Think of the marriages that are under pressure, the vulnerable, the divorced, the singles, the older folks, the shift workers, the farmers, those unwell, those in grief, those in financial hardship. We, there are so many needs within our church and around our church that we can only hope to scratch the surface of. Wouldn't you rather, would you rather choose to be in a church where your kids are the only kids or choose to be in a church where there's a number of other kids, your kids' age and, and parents who are working hard to raise their kids to know Jesus and a vibrant and thriving kids and youth ministry helping partner with you and disciple your kids? What would you rather, even if you're an introvert and don't like big crowds? And would you rather be in a church where people can come along and feel like there's no one else like me in this church? Or would you rather be in a church where people can come and just because of the numbers of people, they're going to find someone who they identify with, someone who's like them in some respect? 
church where they feel like there's someone there they can relate to? And would you rather be a church where our public meetings are in constant danger of just being shut down because we rely on being able to rent a premise from a principal who might change at any moment? Or would you rather be in a church that has had the resources to build a meeting place for generations to come? See, if you think about it, if we don't grow, we're like a stunted child. There are so many ministry opportunities and so many needs that we will never be able to even begin to address. And yet, as if we're a church that is growing in godliness and maturity and in size and in number, that's a whole lot more people who are able to do a whole lot more for God's glory. See, being worthy of the calling that we've received means being committed to growth, even if that goes beyond our comfort and our preferences. Growth in maturity and size, that's God's goal. And he's got a brilliant strategy for it. Have a look at verse 11. Called to serve. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And listen to this, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The team make teamwork, I spoiled that, didn't I? Teamwork makes the dream work. I've heard that before. See, just like a physical body, God's made his spiritual body of lots of different parts that are designed to be different but function together for the good of the whole. See, the heart beats not for itself but for the body. The hands move not for themselves but for the body. The eyes see not for themselves but for the body. If one part doesn't work, it's not so good for the rest of the body, is it? And it's the same for God's body. He's designed us to all play our parts, to all be different. It's not the job of the pastors, the prophets, the apostles, the teachers to do the serving and the ministry and the building up. No, their job is to equip all of us so that all of us can do the serving and the building and the building up. Some of us may be defenders, some attackers, some boulders, some fielders, some mechanics, some drivers, some managers or coaches or medics or goalies. He's designed everyone on his team different. But to be a team, to be a body. And how awesome is that in a world that puts out, places value on us 
according to what we can do and whether that happens to be something that the world thinks is valuable. How great is that for us that every single one of us, warts and all, has been designed by God to perfectly slot into his team, perfectly fit in his body for the good of the whole body. How incredible is it that the biggest, most incredible, only, the only eternal building project in all of eternity, the only eternal building project is his church. And who has he chosen to do it? Mugs like you and me. He's chosen to give us the privilege of building the one most significant, most glorious, most magnificent, one eternal thing in all of eternity. Isn't that an incredible privilege? Isn't that incredible that we each play our part? You know, even little baby Adam plays his part. Do you know Adam actually served us this morning? Because he, being baptised this morning, he served us as a visual reminder to us as we heard the incredible promises again of the gospel, as we heard the good news that we are saved by faith in Jesus and that his spirit washes us clean, reminded us of the faith that we are baptised into. And, you know, he serves his parents. He serves his parents by just being a kid and they have to learn how to be patient and gentle and humble and loving and forbearing and all those things. And, you know, he serves us because Adam is before us today as, as one of our body, of our family, that we as a body have a responsibility to pray for, to care for, to do what we can as a community to ensure that Liv and Anton are supported as they raise him and, and that we are doing everything we can to partner with them in discipling him. Every single one of us has a part to play. Every single one of us, God has given us the task of building his body as we speak the truth in love, as we humbly work towards unity, as we put up with each other and love each other and forgive each other, and as we also work to introduce outsiders to Jesus as we welcome them when they come through our door, as we smile at them and say hello and, and make them feel welcome. Now I'm excited that uh, over the past few weeks I've had the joy of uh, having lots of uh, cups of coffee with people. Actually, I don't drink coffee. I haven't had any coffee. Uh, but it's been really great catching up with people and just inviting people to serve in new ways maybe to jump from one team into a new team at church or, or people who have joined us recently and uh, have had time to settle in, but now I've been able to invite them to come and join one of our serving teams. And it's been so encouraging because people keep just being excited about that. People keep being excited about being able to serve. And that is such an encouragement because that's how it's supposed to be. That's how God will build this church. Brothers and sisters, we've been called to unity. We've been called to grow. 
We've been called to serve. In the words of our coach, Paul, I want to encourage you, make every effort to do so.